Hey, what's up, guys? It's Rico from the Made in China podcast and Source Find Asia. This week, I spoke to Nathan Jansen. He's uh, actually a very long-time friend of mine. I've, well, relatively. He's the longest person I've known since I've been in China, which is about a year and a half. And, uh, you know, his company that he works for is called 1421 Consulting. They take entrepreneurs or small to medium-sized businesses and take them through the entire registration process when registering your company in the mainland China. So that's interesting because it's it's a very, very complicated process and a very long process and it could be very expensive, which is what people don't know. So we just basically talked about all the documents that you need to get, the processes, the different kind of companies that you can form, um, and all the misconceptions that most people have about registering a company in China. So actually, an interesting story with Nathan is that, um, like I said, I've known him since I first got to China. I met him literally my second week in China. And that time period, I actually wasn't, I had the ambitions of starting a company, but I wasn't starting, I hadn't started a company. So I, you know, I told him, like I, I mentioned to a lot of people, the real reason why I came to China was to start a company. And then cut to about six months later, um, I ran into Nathan. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna bore you with the details, but I ran into him in Shenzhen, and he was just kind of, you know, asking me, "Hey, what are you up to these days?" And at that time, I was still teaching English, and I remember, you know, the questions he was asking me were kind of hitting me because he kind of reminded me why I came to China to to start with. And I, at the time, I I hated him actually. But I was like, I hated him, but I was angry. I was like, oh my, like why is he, you know, why is he pushing me like this? And then. You know, it just it lit a fire under my ass, and you know, I went back and I I decided, hey, you know, I I was already in contact with Mike, and I said, hey, let's do this, and you know, we we started the company, we revamped Sourcefind Asia. So, um, I wouldn't say he's single handedly the reason why I started the company, but he was a huge catalyst. And when we sat down for our interview, I let him know afterwards, and uh, I thanked him for it. So, you know, it's interesting how you could be in a situation where somebody says something to you, and in the moment, it hurts. And probably the reason why it hurts is because it's true, but ultimately you need people like that around you who are going to tell you the truth, even when it's painful. So I can definitely say that if you used Nathan as a consultant to register your company in China, then he's definitely not going to be a yes man. One more note: uh, we actually recorded this episode in a bar because it was the first sunny and warm afternoon of the year in Guangzhou. So I just wanted to be, you know somewhere other than inside my apartment recording the podcast um so yes there is a little bit of background noise but i think our voices are still clear um i think the episode is great so without further ado enjoy i don't want to be a product of my environment i want my environment to be a product of me So I'll go with the first question. When you meet someone that doesn't know you at a cocktail party, for example, uh, or some other social setting, how do you answer the question? What do you do? Um, I work for 1421 Consulting Group, and we help foreign companies start up in China and provide services prior and after. Cool. Um, I know that you were in Guangzhou at some stage. Right now, you're currently based in Shenzhen. What initially drew you to China, and why did you stay? 
So initially I started backpacking between my bachelor's and master's, loved Asia and decided that I didn't want to become a biology teacher, I wanted to become an expat. <laughs> so I asked one of my best friends uh, whether his father's uh, company in China could hire me as an intern, which was in Beijing, and that's how I ended up in Beijing. I never knew, uh, I never planned to go to Beijing or to China, and I really loved it. So that that's more or less hooked me. You mentioned already that you work for 1421 Consulting. Can you tell people that might not know a little bit about the business? So 1421 Consulting is uh, a consulting group which is aimed at helping the foreign as small medium enterprises start up in China. We started five years ago and uh, we saw that there is big demand for small medium enterprises to start up in China because they have the same questions like everybody else does, but they can't afford the big guys to uh, give them advice. And uh, who founded the company? Peter Pronk. Okay. Peter Pronk, he came to China way too long ago. <laughs> I've, I've heard his story uh, many times, his introduction to other people. Uh, it's very interesting, you can check it on the website, I won't go into it too much, but at some point he was working uh, for a Dutch company selling wind, uh, windmill uh, products, and he sold it to the Chinese government, state-owned company. He got hired by the state-owned company, so he was a foreigner working for the Chinese government? Yes. Wow. wow. Yeah. So he learned that, yeah, heaps there, I'm, I'm not going to curse. Maybe, maybe he should start his own podcast, you know? Ah, he, he, <laughs> he has very interesting, uh, very interesting seminars. Mm. So he learned a lot there and he saw many companies, Western companies coming to China and make the same mistakes. Like every company made the same mistakes. And I think Making the same mistakes when they were starting, starting up. up. Yes. And he, he started up, I think, 17 companies in his life. So he's a serial entrepreneur. He, he, he really knows his, uh, his business. And working for a Chinese government, he saw a nice mix there and he started 1421. So, yeah, so you, you basically set up you help people set up their companies in China. Yes. What are the types of businesses as a foreigner that, that a foreigner can form in China? You've got four uh, main businesses in China. First one is a local Chinese company, but since we're talking for foreigners, we won't go into that as well mm -hmm. uh, at all. We have uh, the joint venture, which many people have heard of. The Wufi, which is a wholly foreign-owned enterprise. And um, yeah, here in China, almost everybody uses Wufi because you don't want to say... That, that whole sentence. Oh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Say that ten times quickly. Yeah, a joint venture is the same as a Wufi, but you have Chinese partners. And lastly, you've got a representative office, which I think you mentioned before is kind of not being used as much. No, a representative office was uh, set up quite often uh, when China just opened. Yeah, just to get a presence in China, feel the market, do some marketing, but you can't earn uh, revenue in China, so you can just have some people in China. But it's more or less useless at some point when you want to start doing business in China. What are the advantages and disadvantages of doing a wholly foreign-owned company, representative offices? You already mentioned that, but like yeah, yeah, joint venture. We're not big fans of representative offices because it's an old, old, uh, it's an old artifact. Business model. Yeah. yeah, we're uh, mostly setting up woofies and joint ventures. In the structure, they're the same, but one has a Chinese um, party, mm -hmm. multiple Chinese parties uh, besides the foreigners. And the advantages are that you simply are legally here in China. You can hire people, you can pay your taxes, you can earn revenue, you can give Papiao. And you know, Papiao are the receipts the Chinese, Chinese people need. Chinese, yeah. Chinese business receipts. Yes, uh, for the listeners here, th those are receipts with a stamp on it in different per city. And even your uh, 
your Starbucks receipt doesn't count as an expense until you get the official Fapiao that accompanies with it. So you can give that as a Wufian, otherwise you can't do it. What do you think about a joint venture with a Chinese uh, person as a foreigner? Well, if you can find a very good partner, no problem. Um, we've had, sadly had, way too many uh, clients knocking on our door that they found a partner, and they found a partner quite quickly in uh, when they came to China, and the partner was a complete misfit. So if you find a good partner, it's, it's a recipe for success. But if you find a bad partner, well then it's not going to work out in China. What, do you, what, what, what are the main issues that you think people have? Is it cultural? Like what, what, not uh, too high expectations of what a Chinese party can do if uh, they haven't researched what they can do. Mm-hmm. We've heard of many customers uh, that came to China. They met a Chinese person on a fair in Europe and uh, they asked, oh, can you help us with that? To which a Chinese uh, person probably said, yeah, sure, of course I can do it without being the, able to do it. You gave the Chinese uh, yes. Yeah, more or less, and <laughs> and, and th- that that's okay. Uh, but if they can't do it, you're stuck to someone for a long time, and you spend a lot of money on someone who might not be your good part, a good partner for you. And you wouldn't partner up with someone in your home country uh, within half a year mm-hmm. yeah. without knowing each other first. So why would you do it in China? Mm-hmm. Um, and then going off of that, if we had a major, you know, legal disagreement. Well, how much legal power do I have if I'm doing a joint venture with a Chinese person? Yeah, foreign companies often think that having a majority of the shares uh, means that you have the most power in a company, but that doesn't uh, go that go, that doesn't go well in China. In China, you need to be on the board of uh, representatives. You need to be on the board of directors, and if you're not on that, you're not uh, you not you don't have any power in the company. So you should make sure that you are on the board of directors. And also have the shares split according to how much you invested. So basically, if you have the majority of shares, that's just how much money you're going to be making. You don't have any say over the decisions or Yeah, like if, if the board uh, decides to do something else which the shareholders don't like, yeah, good luck with that. Yeah. And and we have seen this way too often that, uh, that Chinese parties have themselves and all their cousins in the board, have nice salaries, and the shareholders then say, well, well we want to change this. But they can't, you don't have any power. It's not their company officially by law. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, my business, Swiss in Asia, is registered out of Hong Kong. Yeah. What are the benefits of being registered out of Hong Kong when you're trying to set up a Chinese business? Well, first, a mainland it, it, business. it went quite quickly, right, to set it up? Yeah. So that, that's one. Uh, two, you can already receive from all over the world your cash. You can pay to China, that's very easy. Um, but one of the main benefits is that all your documents are already in Chinese right now. So if you want to set up your Wufi, uh, if, if you want to set up a Wufi joint venture, if you want to set up your company here in China, you've got all your documents in Chinese, which saves a lot of legal uh, translations and uh, all these fees, which are a few thousand dollars uh, back in your home t- uh, home country. Mm-hmm. Because you need to do it officially and it has to be with an official lawyer and it has to be official. So if you have the Hong Kong company, you don't have to go through that, no. that initial process? No. Oh, so that, okay. That's, that's going to save a lot of time and money. Good to know. Um, so if you have it, it's a plus. If you don't need it, don't you don't need and it. And it's relatively inexpensive to register a Hong Kong company. Compared to uh, a, a compared movie, to yes. That, yeah, yes. So compared to that whole process. And I think you mentioned before uh, that if you have a Hong Kong company, it kind of protects you a little bit from, like let's say your company goes bankrupt. 
in China. Yes, uh, there's thing. there's a buffer between between the the mother company if it's abroad and yeah. between China. There's a Hong Kong company in between there. Uh, what are the requirements to to register? Let's say a Wufi. What are the requirements? I want to go back. Don't set up your uh, company here and uh, you think I'm safe with my Hong Kong limited yeah. company. If you already uh, suspect your company in China will go bankrupt, <laughs> because that's just a bad business decision. Just, yeah, you probably should not be running that company. Uh, what are the requirements for a Wufi? The main one is that uh, you invest here in China. That's the that's the decision you should make before you need to invest. You uh, need to put in money. Your registered capital need to you need to get into China, and of course your business should be legal in China. Some businesses are not allowed for foreigners. You can't produce weapons, of course, for example. But that's an extreme example. But you can't uh, set up a school as well. And um, okay, so then. There's a registered capital. That's the investment that you're talking about. Yes. Um, I, I think the biggest mis- misconception that people had, and I had this till maybe two months ago, is that you think that that money that you invest is gone. Like you don't have access to that money. But yes. Like, w- yeah. No, what I, is that money for? I'm saying yes to that. People have this misconception, but it's uh, you use this capital for, for your company for, for your all your expenses. overhead expenses, overhead costs. So for your for your salaries, for your taxes, for your office for your driver I don't know what you want to pay but you can pay it with that if it's a company company uh, cost so cities like Shanghai Beijing Guangzhou are probably expensive to, to register and what, what is the easiest big city to register we set up our second office in Shenzhen for a reason we're already in Beijing because that's where the company started and we chose Shenzhen for a reason because it's very startup friendly um, in Guangzhou uh, the Requirements can be more steep if you want to set up a Wufi. They uh, that might be depend. It's always a little bit gray area, mm-hmm. but um, in Shenzhen, it's it's gonna be easier. It's gonna be so easier. we really like that. So ballpark, how much money are we talking about here? Like, what's a what's a minimum that I should be investing? It's it's a big gray area, but uh, what we recommend is that you calculate your one year overhead costs. We ju- just did which, it with which me and Nathan were doing just before the podcast, and it's, uh, you know a little bit of a reality check. <laughs> which scared of Rico a bit? That's okay. It's okay. I'm, I'm confident. You know, made in China podcast guys. You know, you guys have to become our customers. And, uh, but anyways, uh, okay. So you, yeah, you mentioned so, so you try to t- try to get one year overhead cost as a registered capital. So mm-hmm. you can use that money to set up your company and get up and, uh, up and running. And like you said, it's it's kind of a gray area. Like so, for example. Uh, what if you start off and you say you're gonna start off with one employee and then throughout the year you you grow, right? Like yes, that that could be a possible. Well, you will only grow if you make more revenue. If you're making right? more revenue, yes, and that could be a possible. That yes. could be initially you could set up and say, okay, we're gonna have two employees or one employee. That, that's what we've done in Shenzhen. And in Beijing, we started with bigger investment, and in yeah. Shenzhen, we started uh, lean, and uh, that's that's been working out both cases so ballpark minimum would be what like a hundred thousand RMB which is minimum I would really say minimum because if you have your own salary for three thousand five hundred RMB and you have one Chinese staff and you've got some uh, you've got a nice office you need to pay taxes you're gonna be out of out of your capital in half a year a hundred thousand RMB is probably it's about fifteen thousand US dollars yes um which fluctuates, of course, depends when you listen to this podcast. Of course, yeah. 
My so, shares were a bit more expensive. <laughs> <laughs> it was a bad week. It was a bad week. Yeah. How do you prove that you have the funds? And how do you set up the Chinese well, business account? The, one of the first steps you need to do is you need to uh, give a bank, bank statement that you have this cash abroad. So your bank abroad should show, okay, Rico has this amount in Canada or wherever outside of China. Mm-hmm. And then you can continue. At some point after your... So this is during the registration process at some stage. Almost prior. Almost at the the beginning. One of the first things. Yes. And at the end, after your Woofie has been set up, you set up a Chinese bank account. It's a requirement. And then you put all your investment on that. Any recommendations on which bank to set up with? I'm really happy with my branch of ICBC. And... Yeah, it, it's mostly because every time I go there, I get, hey, Nathan, how are you in English? And they help me with all my bank things. And they call me personally if there's a letter wrong or something uh, of a transaction. It's very helpful. What about uh, Bank of China? Because they have branches all over the world. So, um, does the, that bank, that... the Bank of China and the ICBC and everything you, it, in China is very important. And the branch is okay. They're almost complete separate entities. Okay. For example, I uh, had a Bank of China personal account here in uh, Guangzhou when I, when I came to Guangzhou, south of China. When I went to Shenzhen, I wanted to uh, switch it over. Mm-hmm. But it was so difficult that I just opened a new bank account somewhere else. Wow. Seriously? Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not kidding. So check if your branch is okay. If you like the branch, if you can work with it, do that. I got lucky because I registered my ICBC branch before I started living in this area. And then now that I live here, it, it works out. But I didn't know that if you, you just if you move cities, you can't even... No, it, it's, it's a city is yeah. well. We we moved from one city of twenty million people to another city of eighty million people. So uh, back in Europe, that's a, a different countries. Yeah. <laughs> so I understand they've got different systems, and then it's a bit difficult to switch. Try to get one also close to the office. That's a big plus. That's a big plus. Um, what are the common misconceptions that people have about setting up a business in China? Uh, first one that is cheap. Mm-hmm. After a reality check, uh, you realize <laughs> uh, it, 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 you need, if you do everything legally yeah. here in China, it, it, it's not as cheap as people. Listen, I didn't think. think it was cheap. I just didn't think it was that expensive. That's, that's Okay, that's you've been here already yeah, for a year, but ago. people outside of China might think it's very cheap. Yeah. It's not. And uh, people also think that setting up a company in China is very easy because it's like, ah, well, I can do it in my country in a week. Here in China, it takes, um, say, two to six months because you need to do a lot to do that whole registration process and you were telling me the reason why it's like that is because like why do they make it so difficult to, to register your I don't think they make it difficult if, if a Chinese person would go to your home country he would have to jump through a lot, a, of a lot of hoops as well hoops. it's the same here you need to confirm a lot of data actually you're right I was reading an article uh, two weeks ago and it was a guy who registered basically went through the whole process and he was like you know what at the same time, if I look at it from the opposite perspective, if somebody wanted to register their business in Canada, they would need a hundred thousand dollars. You know, US they couldn't even couldn't be twenty thousand. So it's it's yeah. it's true. Like yeah, you do have to jump through a lot of hoops if you're not from that. Yeah, and it's country. it's and I completely understand where these hoops come from because yeah. there have been a lot of cowboys, and especially here in Guangzhou, <laughs> there have been a lot of guys that have been doing everything illegally and have been. Um, just mudding around to keep it uh, PG-13. Yeah. Oh, no, man. We swear on the podcast. I don't know if you... <laughs> okay, okay. Well, so Maybe the marketing or HR department <laughs> is going to say, no, Nathan, you can't swear. But... No, but uh, it's it's important that you know that it's going to take quite some time because you need to fill in a lot of forms. Yeah. 
we can help with that but still filling in these forms and one letter can be wrong and that's you have to do everything again so we get, get it back a week later they've checked it it was wrong get it back a week later from the government mm -hmm. go back to you you have to uh, do it again a week later we get it and they're three weeks gone yeah it's it's gonna be like that especially since you're uh, when you're abroad it's gonna take a long time to set up um, and your company uh, 1421 Consulting helps with this process. You already talked a little bit about it, but can you break down the specific services that well, your company provides? If, if I'm going to list all the services right now, it's going to be uh, quite long. I, I guess the main... No, the, the main, main ones, we, we do market research um, to make sure you know what's going to happen in China, especially if you're a bigger company. Uh, if you work for a medium uh, enterprise, medium-sized enterprise, mm -hmm. you want to make sure you know the rules and regulations and the trends, etc., We've got payroll services if you want to start out lean, uh, so you don't set up your whole woofy uh, mm -hmm. and just feel the market. Expand a little bit on the payroll services. The payroll services, it started after um, we saw that clients of us, they wanted to start in China already, but their registration took quite some time, mm -hmm. or they were unsure how to start in China. So uh, we can hire people on our payroll, for example, um, and do that in Beijing and Shenzhen. Taxes will be paid, social insurances will be paid, and you can start doing your business in China already. You can start developing the business. You can start find clients or partners or whatsoever your own market research and mm -hmm. do everything legally without having to set up your whole company. And this is a much quicker, much faster, cheaper. Yeah. So for some companies, uh, it's a solution for more or less the whole, whole period they're going to be in China. For mm -hmm. some companies, it's just to test the waters and for other companies it's prior to setting up they have to be in China now mm -hmm. and the process just takes a little while um, so they start with the payroll, payroll services it's, it's a, I think it's a pretty valuable service yeah, yeah it, it's, uh, it all started quite organically with the company and then you help with hiring as well hiring yeah we can help uh, finding your staff we can do the accounting after you set up your woof you need an accountant and hiring an accountant who speaks English who won't uh, cook up your books uh, in a wrong way. <laughs> you, you, you want to pay for that. You don't want to skimp on that. Uh, but it might be too expensive if you're small. So we can uh, do that for you. We have lawyers if you run into trouble, uh, if you want to set up your contracts. We really try to help get oh. you started up properly. Okay. And um, do you have any competitors? I mean, of course you have competitors, but do you have any direct competitors and... and uh, I think you mentioned before you said a lot of them are not based in China. So, um, yeah, yeah, we're quite unique in the way uh, we feel in a niche apparently which was still open. Mm -hmm. So you've got the big the big guys, you've got Deloitte, you've got uh, KPMG, you've got the big guys, but they're going to be expensive. And as a small medium enterprise, it's, you, you simply can't afford that. Mm -hmm. You've got the local guys, the local Chinese people, but they might uh, not do exactly how you want it. And they are very cheap but things can go wrong it, it's up to you if you want to do it of course it's your own decision but uh, we have had way too many clients come back after something went wrong and really we had to think like 50% uh, of, of the clients we say bye to in the beginning come back and they come back yeah, yeah. actually interesting I mean sourcing my business is like consulting it's, it's pretty yeah. much the same thing and we do have those situations where a customer would say oh you know right now I'm going to do it by myself yeah. And then they get, you know, twisted around by Chinese manufacturers. Exactly. And then and come back. And, uh, yeah, especially if you're abroad, how are you going to control the quality control? And yeah. I've heard, heard some stories about sourcing. I'm, I'm not in the business <laughs> myself, but yeah, it's it's the same thing. You're so far away. You're it's half a world away. How, it's tough. Yeah. It's tough. 
I mean, uh, me and Mike, we had a story one time where the factory sent pictures of the finished product to okay. a customer on, on WeChat. And the customer said, WeChat. okay. okay nice. WeChat, yeah. yeah. The customer said, okay, yeah, that's great. Looks great. Sent the money. Received a container of nails, you know. What did they order? It was like chairs. It was actually uh, plastic bar stools. And they got nails? Nails, yeah. Uh, they they drew the short stick. Yeah, exactly. It's just like things like that happen. And <laughs> yeah, sure. That, that, that's why we say make sure you have, yeah. have someone here and we can help with that. So what makes us unique is that we are here as a small medium enterprise and we... You're on the ground. We're on the ground. We're here with um, almost 40 people now of which two-thirds is local Chinese. We've got uh, foreigners here who can say no to you, which is also very important. Yeah. Like, Rico, you can't do that. Why not? Because it's illegal. <laughs> you can do it, but it's your own fault, and you're going to be silly to do it. Uh, you're going to do it on short term. And a Chinese, uh, Chinese agent might not be feeling confident enough to say no to a client on that. You're going to be liable. Yeah. yeah. So we can say no. We're, uh, we have the same problems as other small, medium enterprises as well. Our rent can go up as well uh, for the office within, without any notion. No, I it's think actually that's the biggest benefit of you guys being on the ground is that, like you say, you, you have those problems on a day-to-day yeah. basis or whatever issue. So you're kind of changing, learning the system. Whereas if you have an ex- expert, China expert, who's not based in China anymore, yeah, they might be outdated. They might not know yes. what's really going on right now. Right? Yes, yeah, um, that's for sure. But you also have a lot of one or two people companies. And uh, for me, I would not be able to do this without a team in Beijing and uh, abroad because they have so much knowledge I can tap into. What is the most difficult or complicated process of, of registering a, a Chinese company, in Ooh. your opinion? Ooh. So as a foreigner. As a foreigner, there are just going to be so much many hiccups. And it's, gonna, it's such a different process. And you have to wait for hours at the at the government, which we then more or less take uh, take from you that task. So we are stuck with a headache. <laughs> Thanks for that, but so, that's our job. So but the it's, most it's, difficult it's, process for me is just paying you the money, basically. <laughs> for, for, I will, uh, we will probably still get back with issues yeah. uh, because it's always there's always going to be hiccups. But we try to fix it uh, before we get it to you, sir, and we uh, we advise you on it, and um, we solve it. That's can, you, can, you, can you give me an example of something like So one of my um, prospects, she wanted me to help set up, and, but her partner thought we were too expensive. So they went local, mm-hmm. and a uh, local company did everything. At some point, she called me, uh, sent me a message on WeChat in Penix, like, I can't uh, get my shares because I don't have cash in uh, my home country on the bank account. And she didn't know she had to have she that. She didn't know what, she what I just t- told you before in the podcast. Registered need, capital. Yes. Yeah. I need to prove this. And they didn't tell her. So uh, she asked, well, what can I do? I said, I, I can't do anything anymore because they were with another agent. I'm not going to do that because the other agent might feel like I'm uh, going to their territory. Yeah. Understandable. But uh, that local agent, for example, then asked them for extra money to solve it. And I'm making air quotation marks right now, to, to solve it. So they more or less get, uh, were getting blackmailed. And you will have hiccups everywhere, but just make sure it, it gets solved or you know, know they're going to come to you. 
Um, are the registration laws changing? Uh, if so, are they becoming more strict or, or? They're becoming more strict and in a good way. It's uh, coming from a gray area. With gray area, I'm not saying it's illegal or illegal. It's it's unclear. Uh, it's it's getting more clear, more defined. Yeah, I mean, like the the, the registered capital thing is like they say zero dollars. Yeah, they don't have. You've a, read a it limit. on the internet, yeah, probably. Yeah, but then of course, you know, I'm reading how they like you. You get rejected if you don't put at least this amount. Yes, exactly. So the bank, why why would the bank want you as a client if yeah. you don't bring in any money? money. You, there's a big risk of you going bankrupt. Yeah. Why would they want you as a client? And I fully understand that from from a business perspective. So Nathan, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, I've known you for a while. I remember when you were moving to Shenzhen, obviously things have worked out for you. Mm -hmm. uh, how did you get your first client? My first client, I found, I, I talked with him um, in an industrial city, uh, Zhejiang, and they were partnered up with uh, a Chinese company which was completely out of their business, so horrible partnering. And, uh, and I simply sat down with that person and asked what they wanted to do and what was reasonable and really sit down with them and just guide them slowly and say no to them mm -hmm. this is not possible no that's not reasonable it's gonna take longer that's how I got the partner uh, the, the client. client yeah how do you get clients now same way I go to a lot of um, chamber network com uh, network events mm -hmm. I connect with the embassies and we have a lot of rep offices um, I think two-thirds of my clients come by my colleagues where uh, maybe you could give a brief listing of the where the rep offices are right now we have a, quite a few so don't want to miss any so one of the rep offices gets uh, upset, upset. <laughs> our main office is in Beijing we have an office in Hong Kong and mm -hmm. uh, Shenzhen the Pearl River Delta South China but the rep offices are in Amsterdam in Bucharest Ottawa Annecy France Chicago Belgium just opened um, and yeah, Booker's already called, uh, mm -hmm. already said. Ottawa, Canada. Ottawa, Canada, indeed. Um, how do you guys plan on scaling up your business moving forward? For me, it's uh, in Shenzhen, where I'm the, the majority shareholder. It's it's uh, it's very important to scale up locally. I want to get a huge office, just like we have in Beijing, as a huge uh, team of like fifteen to twenty people guest office well that for me is already huge as a small business owner mm -hmm. um, and as 4021 completely we want to have more offices in China where we can help our clients where the, where's demand uh, for, for our clients okay. and then I think we you kind of touched on this a little bit before but what's uh, what's the process you've been partnering up with embassies or have you have you like how has that benefited your business well I've been exploiting the fact that I'm Dutch so uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I can recommend this to um, any foreigner here to exploit that, you make use of it. Yeah, I exploit the fact that you know Canada and Mike is from America. It's it's such a it's such a big thing. Yeah, of course, yeah. do it. You it's know that being... culture. You know uh, you can knock on the door if your embassy they're friendly to you. Yeah. But I've also knocked on uh, doors of uh, other national, national yeah, other embassies. Mm -hmm. And uh, what is the most effective way you generate leads? Keep your clients happy. That's uh, in the beginning. Uh, it's gonna take a lot of evenings at these network events where you're gonna be tired talking about what you do, blah blah blah. And at some point, someone says, "Okay, I know someone who's interested in you." Who needs that? Yeah, it's yeah. almost never that you meet a client directly, and uh, just going everywhere by word of mouth. Uh, that that really helps. 
um, in terms of the networking, like in Shenzhen, I know there's there's a lot of events. Yeah, in Hong Kong, of course. But what about Guangzhou? Guangzhou, there are many as well. Yep. This is your hometown. This is where I started for one year. You've got uh, more chamber events here in Guangzhou. You've actually got more network events here in Guangzhou. So there's no reason you couldn't, uh, you can't find your clients. What would you recommend somebody in Guangzhou, such as myself? How do I find those networking events? Where will your clients be? <laughs> uh, not, like I, I haven't gotten any foreign client in China before. That's never okay. Happened. So that that's one, for yeah. example. Yeah. Do you think you will meet clients? Here in China directly? I don't think that's the majority, but I think, for example, during the trade fairs, yeah. I think that's a good opportunity, like when the Canton Fair comes around. Yes. You know, but, um, in terms of just d- daily or weekly, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Just a normal... I mean, I'd assume, yes, there are going to be people who come to China to source pla- source factories and they leave and they need somebody to manage. The and where will they uh, look first before they come to China? Uh, internet. And embassies, uh, yeah, internet and embassies. And embassies. So embassies, yeah. I think that's for you very important to be there and just be known amongst the expats here. So if I hear from a friend who wants to get chairs without nails, uh, <laughs> just or well with nails, oh, yeah. not not just a box of stuff nails. Not just so like, I will think of uh, of you guys. That that's important. Okay. So th- I think that's the main goal of the, these network events. What uh, was one of your earliest failures in, in China, and uh, how did you overcome it? The earliest failure was that after my internship and finishing my master's, I went uh, to work for a German company in Shanghai, um, but that company was not able to get me a working permit. Mm-hmm. So after renting an apartment for half a year, uh, sorry, one year, uh, buying all my furniture, three months later, I heard I had to uh, get out of China because I simply couldn't get a work permit. So that, that was my failure. And that was mainly because I didn't prepare properly check the requirements uh, and check if the company can get me a work permit that was my main failure and I learned a lot from that that you need to prepare don't just get here with a rucksack I think uh, everything's gonna work out because just a few evenings at home behind Google is gonna help out a lot you, you didn't go back though. why didn't you go back I went to Taiwan um, I went to Taiwan because I heard it was a great place uh, and I researched uh, I found out via research that I could work there I had the all I fit all the requirements mm-hmm. so it was just a matter of finding a job yeah easier said than done yep but when I left the plane 1421 was looking for someone uh, to see if we can set up a company here in South China going off of that question what is your fondest memory to date doing business in China yeah we just discussed it before we started the, the podcast that for you it was getting your first client right definitely definitely for me as well I think yeah I was, it was four months after I started, uh, put in all my cash uh, in, in the company, um, working from home without air conditioning because I wanted to do it as lean as possible. And uh, the client said yes, uh, which meant I could turn on my air conditioning. Yep. So I had a very nice cool evening with a glass of wine with my girlfriend. And that was a very fond memory. Yeah, I mean, for me, this first client for me meant that I can actually do this. Like I, somebody actually believes in me enough to pay me for my services. And yes. Yeah. I'm actually exactly. Running a company. And, and then it gets scary because you have someone to keep happy. Yeah. <laughs> now you're like, okay, I have to perform. So everything. first it gets scary. If, if does anybody trust me? Then it gets scary. Can I pay my bills? Then yeah. it gets scary. How do I keep this client happy? How do I, how do I keep the client happy? How then you're I? gonna have people on your staff and uh, who will count on you. 
how do I make sure that my staff is happy? How do I make sure that we're paying their bills? Exactly, because they will depend on you. It's, yeah. it's yeah, it becomes stressful. For me, I don't know. I, I'm obviously still learning. I'm mm-hmm. I've been running the company for a year, but I think I manage I manage the stress relatively well. Uh, networking must be huge. We already talked about that. Yeah. Um, I think when you first started out in China, how did you go about networking? Yeah, I I grabbed Google mm-hmm. or Yahoo, if you can't use Google in China, and simply searched where the events were happening. All the chambers, the chambers of commerce uh, in China, the European one, the American one, the Australian one, mm-hmm. the British one, the Benelux, uh, name them, I've been there. I've been to their offices, mm-hmm. and uh, that really helped out. For me, internations and um, non-chamber events were not as interesting because yeah, there were a lot of Chinese people looking either for practicing English or just giving a business card and running away. <laughs> and yeah, that simply for me that was not interesting and it was not worth my time. Okay. Before we move on to the closing part of the interview, yeah. where I usually ask personal questions, is there anything that we missed out? Is there anything that you wanted to touch on? Before? This is for the listeners. If you have any questions or whatsoever, you want to spar a bit about your business, send me an email, send me a WeChat message, whatsoever. Connect with me on LinkedIn, and we can just talk about it. Uh, that, that's what is your email address? Nathan Jensen at fourteen twenty fourteen twenty one dot So I, as usual, we list the resources yeah. on the website. So I'll list Nathan's email as well and their website. Yeah. So you, if you want to reach out to them. For, for me, it's it's. Uh, I'm not here to do marketing, um, but I want to help out. And I really enjoy answering questions, even though they're almost always the same questions. But at least it may, uh, that that will save uh, you guys the same headaches because everybody here makes same. I mean, mistakes. just a little bit of background. I actually reached out to you to be on the podcast, so it wasn't it wasn't like yeah you're you're trying to sell your services. And the reason why I reached out to you is because I had these questions and I was asking you. Yeah. I sent you a million messages on WeChat, and, and I'm like, I think this is going to be beneficial yeah. for our listeners. You know? I, I like to answer the questions. I like to do this. So, if you have questions, go ahead. Okay. All right. So, first question: uh, What is the smallest thing you've done that's brought you the largest results? So, the eighty twenty Pareto principle. So, for me, it's um, having a weekly meeting with my partner, uh, the CEO in Beijing, and we discuss what I'm going to do this week, what he's going to do this week. And I, uh, via the method of seven habits of highly successful people, and I hope uh, at some point I'll be part of that elite group. <laughs> but not not there yet, nowhere near. But uh, what I do is I separate my agenda per different function I have. So as a general manager, I need to do things in uh, my company. As a project manager, I need to do things in my company. And as a manager for, uh, for marketing, there are also different tasks. And every week, I just check what I'm going to do, plan it, and then the rest of the week is going to be more or less stressless. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's your favorite part about living in China? It's or so difficult to give a favorite part. For me, it's the mix it's uh, of, of ups and downs. It's very dynamic. I think the dynamic energy is my favorite part of China. The roller coaster, right? Yeah. Um, if someone were to understand you better, what three books, blogs should they read? Or what uh, three podcasts should they listen to? Oh, this was about um, understanding me better. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I've just listened to some different ones. I think if, if you're interested in doing business in China, uh, those three books I would like to recommend. And the first one 
is the first book I would recommend if you want to do some business in China and it is the seven habits of highly effective people because you're gonna be super busy with a lot of things and I'm not big on self-help books but mm -hmm. my uncle recommended it to me and he is highly successful <laughs> so there might be some truth in there to understand a bit about the Chinese culture I think the book The Good Earth can teach you a lot mm -hmm. it's uh, it's a fiction book uh, it's a novel so it reads quite easy and it places you in the shoes of a Chinese farmer who goes from rags to riches and with all the troubles that come with it and lastly um, blog wise I, I like Reddit China um, even though people are complaining on it a lot and uh, there are many disgruntled expats uh, the fact that many interesting articles get shared about a lot of things and you can ask questions uh, I think that's pretty interesting do you want to give maybe one book that is personal to you oh I really like The Martian I just read The Martian what is The Martian is it, is it the, the, the movie is yeah the one that's based on the movie yeah okay I, I really enjoyed The Martian uh, if I ju I'm just thinking about books which I read recently and enjoyed that, that one's it uh, the movie was fantastic so I can imagine that the novel I, I've, I've been la laughing out loud during reading I watched I watched The Wolf of Wall Street a couple of years ago I just read the book there's a book? yeah there's a book ah. it's based on the book okay so the, the actual guy the, the real guy Jordan Belfort wrote the book and the book is crazier than the movie I believe it's, you. It's yeah. much crazier than the They had to uh, skimp on a lot of stuff yeah. because it's going to be too much. Of yeah, it was, it was like, oh, okay, it's just a different level. Um, what are the top three apps you use every day? Well, if you come to China, and uh, I'm in China here, uh, Memrise is going to help a lot. That's M-E-M-R-I-S-E. -E. For me, that helped a lot to uh, learn how to read and type characters. And it's just a fun game. And uh, you're going to be able to read WeChat messages with Chinese people mm -hmm. uh, and, and your friends which is fun mm -hmm. the second one is Pleco you know about this one yep. it's, uh, you're gonna need that for translations for exactly. translations yep. it's, it's a very good dictionary like everybody uses Pleco yeah, yeah. without Pleco if you, if you don't have Pleco on your phone yet you're really new <laughs> Uh, and then the last one? The last one is the Chinese food in the in the past few years gave me a bit of belly, so I started counting my calories with my fitness pal. I originally I like burst out laughing when you said my fitness pal. But, hey man, like I'm in the same position. I think you know I probably need to start counting calories soon. Um, During yeah. this interview, you drank two Carlsberg and uh, <laughs> hey, that's one and a half. Okay, one okay. and a third maybe. Nathan, uh, man, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. I think it was good. I okay. think there's a ton of very, very valuable You're knowledge. Yeah. Um, is there, if people want to reach out to you, what's the best way to get to you? Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, Nathan Adam Jensen. You can go to our website. It's 1421.consulting. Email, it's Nathan Jensen at 1421.consulting. Um, yeah, those are the main four. All right, and if you guys want to reach out to us, that's info at sourcefinasia.com, info at sourcefinasia. Um, of course, Facebook, sourcefinasia, Twitter at sourcefinasia, Instagram at sourcefinasia. Thanks for listening, guys. See you next week.